0: Yeah. Territory Podcast. This week we have a very special episode focusing on tech in Formula One and the VMware and McLaren partnership. We talk to Joe Bagley, CTO Emia of VMware, and Edward Green, Head of Commercial Technology at McLaren Racing. Hey Joe, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule here at VMware Explore Europe. How's your week been?
1: It's been fantastic. I think it's great for all 9,000 people to be back together again after we've all been locked away in Zoom rooms to now finally come out of our rooms, come together and realize we're all working towards the same goal. It's
0: been, the buzz has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed Explore. Great. Yeah, I love to see all those people lined up again uh, towards those technical sessions and hearing all the applause after these sessions, enjoying thoroughly the, the, the great content presented by many people. So completely off topic, I know that you're a great fan of racing, can you tell me a little bit more about your affinity of car racing, or any type of racing on wheels?
1: Wow, it goes back a long way. I think very briefly, I started out karting as a as a boy at school and built my own kart and raced with my school. I then went on to race at university. I got into rallying at university. I then ended up with a full international rally license by the age of twenty five. I was one of the um, also co drove as well as driving. Uh, I was a British under twenty five. I think I came third or something one year and got into track driving and lots of other different bits and pieces. And then I happened to work uh, and was involved with Jordan through some of the work that I did in the the 90s and worked on some of the trackside equipment there and spent a lot of time in F1. And then in recent years, I sort of picked that back up again. As my children have grown older and I've got more money again, I think as better of better. And I've been taking various cars on tracks, and I've helped form a race team recently uh, called Matabubu Racing. So this weekend, the Remembrance weekend over the 12th, 13th of November, I'm actually taking part in the Race of Remembrance, driving a BMW 116 Trophy with some other friends uh, for a charity that I lead, which is a veterans charity called Mission Motorsports. So we're doing a 12-hour endurance. So yeah, my and I hold a, a British racing license too. So yes, yeah, so I am big into racing, big into driving. Thing and I um, it's it so uh, you know it's been a part of my life since I first sat behind a wheel before I was allowed a car
0: license that is amazing to hear so the reason why I'm asking this is because we've seen Edward Green the technology director of McLaren on stage in the keynote talking about how they're using VMware technology with their racing team and on the paddock and so I was wondering how did that deal came through how did VMware technology end up at McLaren can you talk a little bit more about that
1: yeah, so VMware's technology is used by pretty much every F1 team already. You know, but we were talking with McLaren, and McLaren is probably the most forward-looking in terms of both technology but also sustainability as well. You know, They're not just racing across F1. They're racing across Extreme E. They're racing across Formula E now with the acquisition of the latest team. And, of course, they're in IndyCar. And for us, their ethos in terms of you know their, their culture really fitted with what we were doing. So when they approached us and said, we'd like to use your technology in a much more involved way and come into a much more technical partner, than just buying it from you, that's where we hit the partnership that we now have. And Ed really described it best, and we've become good friends through this because we sort of walked through the door. And he said, "He said, oh finally VMware's turned up. You're the glue that I was looking for.' And it's really that we sort of we're bringing it together for them from an end user perspective. We're solving SD-WAN problems. We're going to be doing you know traditional stuff with VCF, and we're now just now after the, sort of the first year together and exploring what we're doing. We're now going to be building out you know a much stronger story next year with what we're doing there. And actually, Ed's now looked at what we do with our our office of the cto and gone that's really cool what you do with octo at VMware. i've never seen any other vendor do that can we form some kind of octo advisory board with with you in and so that's what ed and i are talking about now so it's not just about technology it's not just about you know giving them money to put a name on a card. this very much is about a proper partnership about how we do things and how we execute so yeah it's 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 you see the stuff and you see, oh, you know, VMware's obviously just given them millions of dollars to put their name on it. It's, it's totally not that. It's a proper, real, deep partnership in technology and people and process. And it's very exciting for those of us that are involved. That is amazing to hear. Well, thank you for
0: your time.
2: What a great conversation between Joe and Frank. And some of you probably want to know how Joe did during that Remembrance Weekend. And he actually came in 24th with his team. And they are actually capable of driving 321 laps during that 12-hour period. So congratulations, Joe. And congratulations, Meta Boo, Boo Racing. So, of course, we're not here to talk about Joe's achievements, but we're actually here to listen to Frank and Edward Green talk about the McLaren and VMA partnership and what is so special in terms of what they are doing together. So, let's listen to that conversation.
0: Welcome, Edward. Before we dive into it, can you please introduce yourself and explain what you do for McLaren?
3: So, my name is Edward Green, and I'm Head of Commercial Technology at McLaren Racing. Uh, it's a bit of a weird job, I get to look across all of our roadmaps and strategies that support the racing team in, from the commercial side, uh, and then look after all of our partners. So all of the partners that you see on the car aren't just about stickers, they're about helping us go faster and helping embed their technology in the team and, and help do the storytelling. So maybe a couple of hats to wear in the role, but it's uh, it's definitely a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, that's always the interesting part, right? You see all the stickers and you're like, okay, so what do they do for the racing team's in real life. And so when we look at IT and seeing the past and the history of, of racing, we see those, those black and white images of those racing directors with the, those clipboards, with two of those stopwatches, but we moved on, right? And it's now a data center game. And of course, there are many data center and software related aspects when it comes to formula one racing and some of them are obvious and some of them are less obvious so let's start with some of the more obvious aspects of those so we as we know races are held all over the world can we talk about what a data center roughly looks like at the track and what it takes to move it from location to location
3: when I when I joined McLaren, it was it was this myth, mythical thing that everyone spoke about the the IT rig as we call it uh, in its form factor. It's it's two thirty eight U racks which are shock mounted uh, in a flight case. We only have one of these IT data centers, and so that travels between the races with some of the you know, cars and drivers and, and the race team, a lot of everything else actually for sustainability reasons, we ship to each racetrack to make us more efficient and and to be more sustainable. But there's some things we've only got one of. And so the IT IT rig, as we call it, we only have one of. And so this this two 238U flight mounted or shock mounted flight case, you know, arrives into the garage, it's it's full of networking equipment, it's full of audio and radio gear to talk to the drivers, and it's also full of compute and storage. And at each race, we take about six physical blades. And currently, at the moment, we're, we're running about 4.5 terabytes of memory, 140 terabytes of solid-state storage, uh, 72 processors. And at any given weekend, um, we're running about 116 virtual machines right out of the edge. It's exciting to start our journey with VMware, and we're looking to migrate that that edge part of our network uh, to VMware shortly, which will be which will be you know quite exciting and something I've been looking forward to. But it's really, really different, right? You're, you know, I kind of get a little bit used to it now, but when I first joined McLaren, it was a weird thing to spin up a data center every every other weekend. Uh, next year, we're going to race in 24 different tracks. And you forget that garage is a hostile environment. You know, it's hot, it's humid, it's full of things like carbon dust, which are incredibly conductive. Week one at McLaren, I found someone, you know, depending on where you are in the world, vacuuming or hoovering out the back of a server because it's collecting all of this this harsh harsh environmentals in in the garage that aren't, you know, good for for server environments. When you look at the uptime of our servers and switches, it's, you know, maybe 72 hours at most. And so it's a very weird thing to kind of get used to. But, you know, we deploy all of that infrastructure right at the edge. We do have a connection back to our office, and and the, the two environments work closely together, and we can touch on that a little bit later. But ultimately, that that data center at the edge is, is there computing everything that's coming from the car. You know, First of all, it's there for driver safety, and we're looking at telemetry, we're looking at performance, reliability, uh, engineering strategy. Uh, so there's a lot that comes from it. But ultimately, it's down to IT to make sure the cars leave the garage. And so you know, if we don't see them, uh, we're not building them. There's an amazing team that does that. But if we can't see them on the telemetry, then we wouldn't feel safe to take the cars out of the garage. And so in terms of pressure, you know, I thought Formula 1 was just this exciting sport where IT could get involved. Actually, there's a lot of pressure and, um, you know, a, a lot on the team
0: to make sure we can get out racing. Yeah, and that's what you say, but it's the ultimate pressure. And yet you still have one rack. And as an IT, uh, former IT administrator, having one rack being thrown around the world, that would make me very, very anxious in a hostile environment, like you said, in a garage with all these carbon bits floating around. So when it comes to this physical aspect and the equipment is constantly moving around, do you select your hardware differently? Because it's not your average data center. What are the decisions that influence that purchasing moment?
3: Yeah, I think... You know, naturally in Formula One, you want to go as fast as possible, and so typically, what we'd want to pick is the the server architectures and the storage architectures that support us going as fast as we can. How we run our uh, our VM clusters as quickly as possible. How we we can you know put Kubernetes onto bare metal. You know, so sometimes you're you're wanting to choose hardware that gives you the absolute most performance. But that's not always the hardware that's the best to take around the world, and. Uh, I was in the Singapore race earlier this year. The ambient temperature in the garage at times was up to 40 degrees. And and some of our suppliers will, will stop supporting warranties over 34 degrees. If you walked into a data center and it was hot as our garage, I think you'd be pretty concerned. Maybe there's some research we could do about how these things really do perform. So we do have to keep it cool. We ship in air conditioning units ahead of the race as part of that freight that we send. We actually have six sets of garages. And so any garage will do about four races a year. It gets put onto ships and in its containers and, and will go off ahead. And so the hardware we pick, you know, we you can't always go down the sort of what would be the obvious routes to go down the rugged series or go down other routes. You, you kind of, you always want the latest performance. And so there's this blend between reliability and performance that, that we've really got to get right. You know, obviously things like solid state made a huge difference to us. That really, really does uh, change the game. But then there's also challenges. You know, one obvious thing to do would be to maybe to liquid cool or to mineral cool the setup. But then we've got to get get it on and off planes. Those things are possible, and we're definitely looking into them. But lots of challenges there when it's you know an incredibly hot environment, and you know you want to do the right thing. There, you know, we could we don't want to ship more because it's not sustainable. We we want to keep it as lightweight as possible. As so there's lots of different factors that come into play. You know, lots of things you wouldn't really think about the weight of a server too much, uh, maybe other than when you got to rack it for the first time. But you know, we have to think about that. We really do have to think about how how much this stuff is all going to weigh. And then in simple percentage terms, you know, if you're taking 10 minutes to get three, four hundred gigs worth of car telemetry off the car when it's back in the garage, that's ten percent of a practice time. You know, our practice times are 60 minutes. And so if it takes IT six minutes to to take data off the car, that's 10% that we're not being productive, or 10% we're not out in practice, and our our head of strategy is always very good at putting it into percentage terms and numbers and and challenges and pushes us in IT. And that's good. You know, it's good to get that, that push from the team around to really think about how quickly we can go. And in, in some cases, that comes down to a per component piece. You know, sometimes the obvious thing is let's strip off the, the cybersecurity tool that must be making us go slower. And in this one case that, that we had last year, we, we found it was down to a, a type or, or size and scale of a of an NVMe drive that really made a difference. So it's a complex hardware choice. What I would say is we're very, very lucky to have, you know, some incredible partners that are in part of that IT stack. Some you see, some you don't see. Uh, you know, some have the hardware in there, some have software components running. Um, but We're lucky we get to work with the best. And all of our partners, VMware included, want us to go as quickly as possible. You know, and what they're helping us do, whether or not that's managing the workstations or helping us think about the future of our rig and think about the future of how to manage VMs. Um, you know, it's all about making us go faster on track.
0: It's such an incredible thing to hear about those tiny little things about data transfer that it actually translate into the training time of a Formula One car. And so talking about that data, you're not analyzing it on the track itself, but you're also sending it back to the factory. So how is that for for simulations, of course? So how does this work connectivity-wise? And of course, you cannot dive into the, the, the specifics, But to put things in perspective, maybe, can you share what kind of data sets we're talking about it from a size perspective?
3: Yes, the approach we've taken is to have an MPLS circuit, which might sound a bit old school, but actually provides really low latency. And it's a kind of weird question to ask your network provider. Could you provide me with an internet connection or a connection, MPLS connection, for three days in 24 different places, and I want a really super low SLA? Now, the garage can definitely run on its own, but what we do with all that data is it comes off the car, is we transmit it back to our head office in, in Woking in Surrey, uh, just outside London, and we have another team of people supporting the race team. So, you know, at a track, there's a lot going on. There's the fans, which is just of the best bits of the sport, but there's also the, the heat of the moment and being in the garage, and, and not just the temperature heat, but the, you know the decision-making and the, you know, you really feel the pressure. That pressure is definitely felt back at Woking, but it's a different environment. You know, it's cool. We can change the mix of personnel over a weekend and we can have domain experts at different points in the weekend that can sit inside an environment. Um, If you think of kind of that mission control inside NASA, it's very similar for us. And all of that data will get transmitted back to Woking. And so we have an additional support team that can look at channels of data as they're coming off the car clearly, there's too much data for humans to look at. So we've got a lot of modeling, a lot of neural networks, a lot of machine learning to take a look at some of those data points. Um, And then, of course, as you say, when we're back at the office, we do have a cooler data center, we do have more compute, we have a lot of on-premise infrastructure because of some of the latency sensitivities. And that means we can scale out and run simulations. You know, we can do that live after qualifying. We can do that after practice. Um, you know, I think it's somewhere in the region of 300 million simulations per race weekend. And if you kind of think of it as a big tree, you know, by the time you're sort of through lap one or two, you're moving onto a branch and you can get rid of a lot of the other simulations. So, you know, critically, track can run itself. A lot of decision making is made at track. A huge amount is supported from and some decisions executed back in back in the UK but, you know, we have this MPLS infrastructure to, to keep us connected. And then the types of data we're sending across, you know, typically, obviously, telemetry really makes up the large majority of that, but also voice and video traffic so the teams can see and hear each other, and then all the sort of back office functions you'd expect
0: to see as well. Incredible. So talking about data and all the infrastructure involved. McLaren, of course, isn't the only team racing, otherwise it isn't a real race. And is some of the infrastructure at the track shared with other teams? And if so, how does that work security wise?
3: Uh, I think most teams take a very similar approach. Obviously, people have got different scales and sizes and and maybe take different approaches to what they're running. Most teams will have a, a sort of small IT footprint or data center in the back of their garage. You know, some of that data is shared with the sports governing body, and some of your data gets shared with your engine provider uh, or your powertrain provider, I should say. But you know, we don't we don't share a lot of common services. There are services delivered to us by the FIA, and there are services that the teams can consume from from Formula One management themselves. You know, typically, that's a lot of the, the TV feeds, a lot of the onboard footage. That's really important for for helping improve uh, and understand sort of driving on the track, but overall we kind of act fairly independently i think the security concerns between the teams is less of a physical or a cyber security challenge but It's more about your people you know that's where the intellectual property lies our people are one of our most important parts of the team and so really you know more thought goes into how do you protect the devices how to you keep your data safe uh, less less concern about teams trying to get each other's data there's kind of a bit of a code of respect down the grid if you like nothing formal just that's how it works I'd say probably the, the bigger concern is when people move between teams, you know, there's a huge amount of intellectual property, just people are at the top of their game, uh, you know, in terms of aerodynamics and engineering. Uh, and so, you know, probably the subsequent result is quite long gardening periods. And, uh, you know, particularly at the moment where there's so much change in aerodynamics, you really want to make sure you're looking after that. And so for us, the, the biggest thing is making sure we can um, safely audit and make sure we've got controls over people's machines. And that's why the sort of Workspace Anywhere thing has been really critical for us.
0: Awesome. So you talked about fans, and at the keynote, you briefly spoke about the experience for people who have access to the hospitality pavilion. Now, for people who are not familiar with what happens inside the paddock, maybe you can explain to the listeners first what a hospitality pavilion actually is and what are the services you provide inside that hospitality pavilion. Yes,
3: yeah, so as part of the Formula One weekend, there's a hospitality program called Paddock Club. It exists up above the garages, uh, and and so you can sort of stand out. You can see the start finish line, look down on the on the team in the in the garage as they're prepping, watch the pit stops. It's an amazing experience to to come and bring our guests to, and it's a pretty pretty interesting space. We've also got the paddock downstairs where uh, that's for team members, invited guests, uh, and and yeah, that's also a real chance to get to the heart of the garage. And, and we can take people down into the garage before the race. So you see this environment that's rich and full of data, and you can see everyone crunching and analyzing, and you can see people making decisions in the garage with all of this information. Then you go back upstairs, and you kind of miss that. And so we really wanted to find a way that we could connect the two spaces. And so uh, by using Workspace Anywhere and rolling it across some tablets, we could surface up applications we've been developing in Chrome and other uh, other tools and, and allow guests to start to safely uh, see some of our data because so many of our partners are in this technical space. When, when guests jo- do join us at, a, at an event, you know we really want to make sure they can they can see what they're they're delivering and how that that's helping us. And so we wanted to do that naturally. There's a lot of security concerns if you're if you're sharing any of that data. So we, we've built some tools and applications that are very stripped back, very lightweight to give you a, a, a good insight. Maybe not all of our secrets. But making sure we can do that in a secure way was really important to us. Um, so I really wanted to bring that sort of data experience, that data that data insight back up to people watching upstairs. Many people watch at home with multiple screens. And so when you join us in an event, you get a see and smell and hear it, but maybe you're missing that multiple screen experience. And so we can probably do something a little bit different um, when people join us.
0: So now the show is called the Unexplored Territory podcast. And someone who's always working with the newest technology, you know that technology-wise, there's a lot of unexplored territory. Now, which emerging technology do you feel would be interesting for our listeners to explore in the upcoming years?
3: So it's a great question. I think there's a lot of people doing some interesting stuff under the banner of AI. But truly, I think more people are just advancing machine learning. And so I think maybe when we really do get to grips with AI and some of that, you know, the true application of it, I think that'll be pretty exciting. I think a lot of people do today, probably more machine learning type stuff. Quantum, you've got to mention it. That's really, really exciting. Um, And the reason I'm interested in quantum, A, it's a bit of a concern from a cybersecurity perspective. So that's something we're starting to look and talk about, which I think more people should be talking about right now. But I'm also interested how that could help solve some of the really complex aerodynamic challenges, and maybe how it'd help us solve or help um, be creative for part design in the future. I'm not sure our budgets will stretch quite as far as to start our own quantum cluster, but certainly a really interesting area. At at the track, I think, you know, playing catch-up on 5G. And 5G isn't just about giving people fast access to the internet. I think it's about giving them low-latency access to local services. And so I've sat in the grandstands at races before, and you... You know, you might have that second screen experience. You you know, you may well be watching if you've, you know, if, if you're at a certain tr- circuit, you might get good 5G. Often because there's so many fans around, you don't get any 5G in, or, or any cellular service because it's so dense. And then when you do, you're, you're watching a TV feed of a car that's just gone past you maybe 10, 20, 30 seconds ago. I think maybe what we could start to see with 5G is those kind of local services for fans in the grandstand and uh, really bringing that to life and allowing them to almost see almost in near real time, you know, as the car is going through the corner in the grandstand they're set in front of, they could be seeing, you know, if they're really into the understanding about the brake temperatures or they could be, you know, watching the ride along, um, ride along footage. So, yeah, I think in a, in in summary, I think the, really getting into AI is going to be exciting. Quantum is definitely something to keep on the radar And then I think at the track, I'd like to see more 5G, but for local services.
0: Awesome. So thanks, Edward, for this very interesting episode. Let's wrap this episode up, Duncan.
2: And that's it. We've reached the end of another episode of the Unexplored Territory podcast. If I have to summarize today's episode, then my key takeaway would be that trackside IT services are extremely important for every Formula One racing team, as the speed at which you can transport and analyze data can and probably will have an impact on results during the race weekend. Again, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate the podcast wherever possible. If you have any feedback, send us a message on Twitter on @unexportpod. I would like to thank my co host and, of course, our guests of today, Joe Bagby and Abel Green, for a fantastic episode.